0: hello trash crusaders welcome to save trash cinema the podcast where exploitation and exploration come together it is i your humble host your guide through trash cinema and your favorite dumpster boy cayman darty and on today's episode, we're delighted to bring to you a very special interview with indie filmmaker and Atlanta Zone Brian Lanano. You might have seen his work on the Altered YouTube channel, his collection of shorts on Arrow Video, or have heard the quiet whispers, you'll never forget your William, in back alleys around your home. Well, we have him here today to discuss his work and what new tricks he has up his sleeve, as well as answering all of your burning questions about the notoriously delightful William but before we jump in, let's do a little quick housekeeping. We'd love it if you rated and reviewed the podcast on your podcast app of choice. Don't forget, you can be on the show by emailing us or submitting questions through our email address at savetrashcinema@gmail.com, at gmail.com. Or you can DM us on Twitter at SaveTrashCinema or on Instagram at SaveTrashCinema as well. By the way, we have a Discord channel. So please, uh, you know, jump in and take a look at what we're doing there. Make sure to also check out last week's episode when we tackle Trash Cinema. To outer space with the absolutely outlandish Star Wars ripoff film Star Crash. But enough about that, let's get the show on the road. Brian Lenano, everyone.
1: Well, hello there. I didn't expect to see you again so soon. I guess you couldn't forget you're William.
0: Thank you, uh, Brian, first and foremost, for coming on the show today and, and giving us your time. It means the world to us.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having a podcast dedicated to trash cinema.
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, growing up, I have always just been... I don't know. There's, like, this weird spot in my heart for, like, really sleazy and cheesy films from, like, the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. And so to know that there's, there's someone who is calls himself the self-proclaimed trash filmmaker. Uh, you are indeed the ideal guest for our <laughs> podcast, and and even more so for you to be located in, in our backyard in Atlanta, Georgia, is somehow even more incredible.
1: Yeah, I moved here, uh, it'll be 10 years this uh, August, I'll be here, 10 years. Oh, wow. Moved from uh, New York City, so was making films there for a few years, and then uh, my wife got a job down here. And then we uh, moved.
0: Now, do you think? I mean, coming from New York, do you think it's easier to to get things off the ground here in Atlanta, or do you think New York was like a hot like a hot spot for kind of the filmmaking ecosphere?
1: Well, they they, they both. Kind of the same, actually. You know, um, when I uh, when I make my films, for the most part, I'm making them with my friends. So I was making films with my friends and former uh, classmates from school, from college. Uh, you know, we were collaborating until I moved to Atlanta. And even then, uh, some of them were coming down to Atlanta to help collaborate on the projects I was working on down here. Um, but uh, it's, it's just as hard. I would say it's equally hard. It's just hard, period, to get sure. people together and to make a film, especially films like mine, not so much in what they're about, but more so like their budgets, you know, because sure. I work with low or no budgets. We've done crowdsource like three times. And I would say one time was successful where we're not only we made our goal, we surpassed it, but the first one I ever did. Was for the film the transmission and that was like tough just to raise three thousand dollars but i didn't have you know movies like Crowhan and guilliam to get people motivated to uh give me money and then uh William was obviously the most successful one because we were giving a lot of cool prizes out and bff girls was um partly successful we didn't make our goal, but we raised more money than I, I would I've ever gotten to make a film, which was that's like, awesome. Which was like ten thousand dollars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, BFF girls is uh, you know I'm, I'm watching the screener, the Lenanathon, and uh, I've had my fiance with me, and we're sitting there, and I think it starts, it starts off with um with Crowhan, which we love love Crowhan. So by the time we get over to the BFF girls. She's just like, she's just sitting there like, huh. Huh. You know, I don't hmm. I don't know what to expect here. And I I don't want to spoil for the audience because I definitely think BFF Girls is one that like, you just, you have to see it to experience it. It is just like William. It's one of those where you just have to witness it with your own eyes. So how like it's something like that. Like, obviously, I kind of want to know more about, you know, your history and whatnot. But you know, while we're here, at least, you know, with something like BFF Girls, like, how does a movie like that come about?
1: So, uh, BFF Girls, I think it was around the time we were working on, uh, it was either Crohan or Gwilliam. And uh, Tori and I, my wife, Tori, uh, we were watching Sailor Moon on Hulu because they had the whole series, and she watched Mm -hmm. it as a kid. I never saw it. I knew about it, but I never watched it and uh i was like yeah you know let's well sure we'll watch it and uh i was really enamored with how colorful it was and it's basically what's known as a monster of the week show Mm -hmm. there's a new monster every week you know it's a trope that's in lots of tv shows and stuff so um i really loved all the different monsters that were, uh, that the, that the girls were fighting. And it's very similar to like Power Rangers, like they possess some object and that object becomes a monster. So it was Tori's initial idea of like, wouldn't it be funny if like there was a tampon monster? Um, and then from there it, you know, I was thinking about, um, how the American Power Rangers show came to be, which was, you know, multi, uh, Like a very diverse cast, and they transform, and they're all positive, and it's very like theater camp acting kind of thing. And uh, but what I, you know, when I watched that as a kid, I noticed aesthetically something changed when it became the actual like Super Saiyan portion. Like it looked different than how the the American uh, kids looked. So I love, you know, obviously finding out much later that, like, they took the Japanese show and edited their actors into it. And yeah. I thought that, was, that could be such a funny, like, meta idea about BFF Girls that isn't exactly advertised, where BFF Girls was a TV show where it was about Japanese girls in Japan, but they brought it to America and they just cast American girls... And then when they transform, they just transform into the Japanese actors. You know, they don't hide it behind helmets or anything like that. So I always thought that was like a funny idea. And um, also, uh, you know, it's sort of uh, playfully jabbing at like, you know, people like my wife who was like super into anime and like there's like certain people who are who like wish they were Japanese, you know, who just have Mm -hmm. this unusual fetish- fetishization of sure. Japanese so um I thought BFF which the acronym uh, in our show stands for beautiful fantasy flower girls so their beautiful fantasy is to become Japanese so and then they're all named after flowers you know it's not like I'm not some deep writer here but like those were those sort of things that we put into this big pots you know for for bff girls so we had the tampon monster we had the idea of a of an imported show that was recut for american audiences and then the the uh fetishization because you know when you watch bff girls i'm sorry when you watch sailor moon there's a lot of very suggestive shots you know oh yeah we're, we're really close to the skirt you know and mm-hmm. like the skirt like blows up in the wind so like there's people out there who are like oh my god you know they're so attracted to sailor moon or sailor venus or whatever but well you know the reality is they're they're supposed to be like either becoming teenagers or they're very young teenagers like 13 14 and that's yeah. like that's very bizarre you know so there's so you know when we cast our actors in that in our movie, um, obviously, I wanted them all to be uh, adults and not children or not teenagers because uh, it also plays on that TV trope that you see in shows like Millers, Merrill's Place or 90210 where it's mm-hmm. like somebody's in their 30s but they're pretending to be in high school. You know? Yeah, They're all saying like, oh, I can't wait to get my period. But they're all like developed women already, you know. So, so there, yeah, was it, a, there was all those kinds of things that were that were mixed in there.
0: So with BFF Girls in particular, you're dealing with a very taboo subject, obviously. Yeah. And this short is like a lot of your shorts. There's um, a significant amount of blood involved. Yes. How, how is it having a conversation with an actor when you're especially in a situation like this where you're like you're, you're talking to an actor and you're like, OK, so your character is going to start their period on screen and we're going to presumably hook up a rig in which it's going to just blow like two gallons of blood <laughs> down your legs. Like, how, how does a conversation like that goes? Do you have any pushback? Did you, did you have people who are like, yeah, no, fuck that. I am definitely not going to do this. Or was everyone very just like, ah, fuck it. We'll do it.
1: They, I was very fortunate that everybody was very into the idea, you know, like, at first, then, you know, there's the discomfort of actually hooking it up and then sure. having to roll a number of times. But thankfully, everybody who was was doing that in the, in the movie, like they were so professional and they were um, they were game to do it. So I was I was very grateful to Marilyn, Carol Ann and Jessica and uh, Leia, who played Auntie Flo for putting squibs on and having rigs. And, you know, Jill Gavargizian. Uh, also had, uh, you know, a rope, a, a, a tube, you know, that, that uh, blood was gushing out for her cameo in the film. She's in the field wearing the American flag tank top. And, uh, you know, we, we cut to that shot where the between the, the legs and the blood starts gushing down. And that's actually one of the first audience reactions where we get like a, oh, you know, kind of reaction. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. You know, the taboo subject of periods um i don't know it's like it's a natural thing and uh you know when you have a a a partner or a spouse you know who who menstruates you tend to get used to it you know it doesn't become this uh taboo thing so you know our at least my intentions with the movie was like i wanted to be playful with it but not show it as something that is gross like because Mm -hmm. you know sometimes when you have certain friends who are who are a little more liberal in what they tell you about their personal bodies and lives and stuff, they could say something like, oh, I was gushing so much today or whatever, you know? Sure, So, sure. like, I just took that and tried to, you know, put it in the film to sort of, like, sort of empathize, you know, like, I am sorry that this happens to you. Like, if, you know, and I was taking it literally, like, just, just gushing, gushing out. But the reaction's, I think for the most part are like people are on, people understand the intention. There are a few outliers on Letterboxd that, uh, that have accused me of things that I'm not. Um, but uh, you know, it was simply uh, our, our intention was just to empathize with, with people who go through that, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I will say that Letterbox is a cesspool.
1: <laughs> it's... Yeah. It's too bad. It's too
0: yeah. Bad. You know, I I love it. I always I log all the films I watch into Letterboxd, but but yeah, it's uh it's it's, it's like Twitter. It's just Twitter for film nerds, uh, which if if you're on Twitter, everyone knows that Twitter is accessible as well. So, yeah. Oh, big time. I want to I want to step back in time and I want to do the obligatory interview question because I feel for someone who doesn't know you, who doesn't know the work that you do. You know, for me, obviously, I know you had a you you've had a relatively storied career so far, you know you've been doing short films dating back to 2005. Uh, one of the funniest moments to me was uh, watching one of your very first short short films, and it pops up at the very end in the credits, and it's like MySpace, and I'm like, God, like I'm so old because like I was on MySpace when it first started, and it, so it was a nice little it was a nice little callback for me, so. For people who don't know your career and know what you've done, you know, one, how did you get into writing and directing and like kind of how would you sell yourself if you were to be like, hey, this is who I am. This is what people know me as.
1: Well, uh, I think I've always wanted to be involved with films or something creative or in the arts like my whole life. You know, I can remember when I was five, I think the first thing I wanted to be was a stand-up comedian. And then that changed to puppeteer. I wanted to get into puppeteering, so I was really big into uh, Jim Henson and uh, the Creature Shop. You know, I was like a strange kid that uh, was kind of obsessed with, like, certain companies and certain composers. Like, that's what I was into more than, like, I guess what, like, normal kids we're into like sure i had pogs as a kid but i was also obsessed with like the films that ilm industrial light and magic were involved with or yeah. jim henson's creature shop or like what films james horner or danny elfman composed you know i collected soundtracks i didn't really keep up with like the music of my age group i did a little bit but like it was mostly like i who has who's like <laughs> who's 14 years old and has the soundtrack to u.s marshals you know the sequel to the fugitive that jerry goldsmith scored you know like not a lot of people so so i was i was really into soundtracks and and a lot of the aspects of of movie making i was i had uh, the leonard malton guidebook to movies i had a bunch of different books on on filmmaking so and it wasn't until i was 10 <clears throat> where in my fifth grade yearbook, it's you know you, you has your fifth grade picture and like the career you want. and I put movie director. So uh, I bring that up every time I, I am either talking to some film students or I'm on a show. I, I, I always uh, bring up that like since I was 10, you know and in my fifth grade yearbook, it says I wanted to be a movie director. And I guess the movie that like motivated that uh, was Jurassic Park. Because I was 10 when that movie came out in 93. So, you know, from there. uh, But, uh, you know, the other thing was uh, we didn't have enough money to buy a video camera until I was maybe in high school. I got like a VHS-C camera in like the year 2000. So it took a while for me to eventually start making films on my own. But my cousins in upstate New York had a camera. So every summer we would get together. And I actually found some of my old scripts. um, But none of them had anything to do with anything that i've been making lately they're all you know like oh this is our version of the x-files or this is our version of a spy movie or a james bond movie or whatever i think we did uh we did a, a short called starship titanic and uh excuse me um we used you know like shining a flashlight at, right into the lens of a camera as an explosion and then just making the you know like everything was super it. low low budget i experimented a little bit with stop motion i took lots of pictures like with disposable cameras and i sketched and i made flip books and things like that i did whatever i could who drew comic books i did whatever i could to sort of be creative and i'm thankful that my parents were really supportive of it uh they didn't try and shy me away from doing anything in the in the arts they signed me up for classes they signed me up for music lessons so um yeah I was pretty pretty busy uh doing everything except making films until i got my own camera and then i got to really uh do a lot of stuff with like my star wars figures and uh a lot of stuff involving toys since i couldn't like wrangle i didn't have that many friends (laughs) so it took a lot so i used a lot of my action figures to like tell stories and work on framing and things like that. But once I got to school in 2001, you know, everything I did was a movie. It wasn't just a like this object kind of thing. I had to turn it into a story or something interesting. And that's where the movie started to get more weird because we went to kind of like a a Hollywood, like a, it wasn't a spirit Halloween store, but it was some facsimile of it. And it was on a smaller scale. We would go there and spend whatever money we had on ridiculous random props and then incorporate those into characters and then make movies with those characters. Like I think there was one assignment that we had where we were given a CD with a bunch of different music and they said, make a film using this music. So we used like several tracks off of it, but we went to the store and bought like a Viking helmet and a mace with like a skull on it and then kitty ears and a retractable like plastic knife. And we just, made a movie about two crazy people that escaped an asylum and were hungry and they started killing people and eating what they had on them, which was like nothing. And then eventually one eats the other. So <laughs> that one's called <laughs> Attack of the Munchies.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, I'm, So I've been following you since your Indiegogo campaign for Guilliam, and going back now watching some of your first shorts that you've done. There seems to be like a content shift right around the same time that you released Crow Hand, which for the audience, Crow Hand is, and I kid you not, a film about a man whose hand turns into a crow. And it is absolutely hilarious and just wild as hell. Uh, but, you know, your previous shorts had more of a sci fi approach. Sure, there's blood, and, and, you know, you were utilizing special effects to do things. Uh, but they were more sci-fi with their narrative content and at times even Lynchian uh, with your art style. So what made you shift more into that kind of trashy, grotesque nature that we later see in short films such as BFF Girls, William, and one of my personal favorites, The Devil's Asshole?
1: <laughs> uh, well, the, you're right. There is an absolute change in the types of films you know it's funny it, it, it was seeing another short film sometimes like i would go to festivals with my earlier work you know the ones you mentioned like prior to Crowhan. i would go to festivals and i would see other uh shorts in in my shorts block and i was usually put into shorts blocks that were like wtf shorts blocks or midnight shorts blocks or or whatever always genre bent obviously and some of them were really wild and took such interesting directions and made such interesting choices. And I always admired that about filmmakers. And I, for a long while, I was making films that I thought I I had to make um, sure. in order to like get in with the cool kids or be liked or be, you know, do whatever to like propel uh, my uh, would be film career. And um, <clears throat> you know, I think I finally broke through with like the Fantastic Fest people with my short, the transmission. Um, But, uh, you know, I've never been a part of that festival ever since. And, you know, sometimes when you're part of something and you're like, I want to get back in and you can't, and you, you, you start to make things that you don't necessarily like, I'm not really into this, you know, like, or, or like this, like, you know, I, I, who am I making this for? Am I making this for myself or am I making this so people will like me? So, uh, Crohan was my first instance of, like, breaking away from that. So, with, uh, with Crohan, I was at a festival the year prior, uh, the Florida Film Festival. And uh, it, we were there for Dignity Pastures and we were in the Midnight Block. And uh, we got our badges and we walked to the car. And I don't know if you've heard this story or if your audience has heard the story about the the origins of Crohan, that it's partly based on a true story. I mean, we put that very bold statement at the beginning based on a true story. It is partly um, where I discovered this totem on the ground that looks like a crow. And uh, we joked that, you know, because I picked it up and I didn't listen to my wife who was outright like, that's creepy. Don't pick it up. (laughs) um and uh so i joked that like my hand got cursed and turned into a crow and i yelled crow hand and we both laughed and we said you know that would be a great movie we should do that um and uh you know at first i was like you know you know when you come up with a a silly stupid idea like that you're like oh i can't do that well you know that's silly and like that's detrimental to like what i'm trying to do but i've seen like a number of films that take such interesting creative choices like that year that Dignity Pastures played at the Florida Film Festival, there was a short that played that's called Wowed Up, which is W-A-W-D-A-H-P. And uh, if you haven't seen it, you should should check it out because it's like a a three-and-a-half-minute film that's like partly a rap video, partly stop-motion, and part 2D animation. And it's a guy who chops off his own head, has sex with it, and then there's a cartoon and that's how Heck he de- yeah. that's how he describes it. So so I saw that and I was like god that's so that's so great that he just did that, you know, and like he wasn't worried about, you know, how it doesn't make sense logically like it like structurally it doesn't make sense, but it's a it's a great experiment and that really um inspired me to like maybe say yes to the little voice in my head where it's like, that's a stupid idea. Yeah, but that could be funny. We should do it. So that's how Crowhand came to be. And the irony is that it it did it did really resonate with people. And it got me into the South by Southwest Film Festival, which I would have never imagined. You know, a two and a half minute stupid, like, co- comedy short, basically, got me into one of the biggest festivals, you know, in the country or the, or the world, you know, for films. So it's just crazy. You never know what, 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 what people are into, but, you know, I certainly, I certainly am happy with a lot of the work that I made before Crohan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm very proud of like some of the shots that we accomplished in like Tachizoids, And uh, um, I love the look of the transmission, you know, and trying to pay homage to the spooky horror films from the thirties and forties and shooting on film was exciting. But um, but yeah, now I, I think a lot about like the idea, the unusual idea, and what could I do? What could be funny? You know, what could be interesting and unique and stand out in a crowd? Because that's that was something. You know, I felt Crowhan and William did. You know, that one-two punch of those two films was they were they were unique and strange and short, and they stuck out in a crowd.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've had films, you know, being presented at, like you said, South by Southwest, Slamdance Film Festival, uh, Buried Alive, Fantastic Fest. Like, how, how does that feel as a filmmaker who is just making things that you want to make now? Like, how does that feel, you know, having your films being released to a public audience in such a nature?
1: Well, it feels very, uh, validating. Uh, you know, it, it feels good that people are liking what I'm doing and, you know, the other exciting aspect of it is, you know, people are discovering, people are watching Crowhan and William and there's a whole backlog of work before that, that they could go back and, and look at, you know, which, which I, uh, which I'm happy about, you know, because uh, you know those films did well and they won awards and they played at certain festivals and here and there. But like, you know, once once you run on the festival circuit for like a couple of years, you know, you don't do too much else with it except put it on Vimeo or YouTube or something. So it was nice mm-hmm. that uh, a place like Arrow uh, released, you know, some of my more recent films, and then they were like, they saw Lenanothon and they're like, we would love the rest of it. So. It was nice to actually resurrect those older films and and put them out there, again, for people to enjoy, only to get some great Letterboxd reviews.
0: You know, fuck those people on Letterboxd. <laughs> you know, as you said, though, um, you, just, you just released, within the last few months, you just released your second collection of short films on Arrow Video. W- what has your experience been like working alongside what many consider, probably me, me being the many, uh, consider... To be the Criterion collection of cult classics in tri cinema,
1: you know it's. It, I I, uh, I feel that way about these these labels, you know, Criterion and um, Arrow and Vinegar Syndrome. It feels like you get to be part of this sort of Noah's Ark of sorts of for films, and uh, I felt very fortunate to be chosen by them to uh, have my work included. You know on their on their site you know they've got a lot of great stuff and there's a lot for uh people who have the channel to choose from so Mm -hmm. it's it's nice if they uh stumble across my work but yeah it's 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 quite uh it's a privilege you know to uh to be welcomed like that and they were very enthusiastic about my work and um excited to be showcasing it you know, they, uh, invited me to do the mutilator watch along. So it's nice to be like held in, um, this regard alongside, you know, uh, my contemporary peers who are making features like mm-hmm. Jill and Adam, who did a ghost weights and, uh, Ch- Chelsea, stardust who's done, you know, there's, they they're all doing features. And then I get to stand up there with them as well and do like this mutilator watch along party. And, uh, you know, I'm, j- I'm just a shorts filmmaker. So it's nice that uh, short films and short filmmakers are getting that kind of respect as well. Because, you know, it's a lot of people feel like a short is just a stepping stone to making real movies, you know, mm-hmm. features. And uh, I don't see it that way. You know, there's a lot of great filmmakers who have only done shorts like... Um, The animator Don Hertzfeld, you know, like, yes, he strung three of his films together, but they're all short films, you know, that he just put together as one feature, but they started out as shorts. And, you know, you have uh, certain filmmakers that rubber band from shorts to features and music videos or whatever, you know, there's like people like Spike Jones and Mm -hmm. David Lynch and Stan Brakhage and uh, Bill Clinton, like lots of different uh, there's plenty others that I can't remember, unfortunately, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, it's nice that, uh, people are respecting shorts, you know?
0: Yeah, no, no, totally. and you mentioned David Lynch. I know he's one of those that, um, you know, he's got, he, obviously he has a, a story I and mean, he's a legend in the industry, but in terms of like his films produced and, and released, I mean, his short film just like filmography is massive. Um And I know it, it's sad because, you know, I don't know it, people who are like, Oh, I love David Lynch. i like, have you ever seen his short films? Cause they're insane. And some of his most beautiful work is two, three minutes long. Um, I, I, and you know, and it's one of those, I know people ask you all the time, you know, whether it's, you know, when are you going to make that, that leap over to feature films? And I, for me, you know, maybe it's being selfish, but I'm like, hell, I just want Mark William. And if, if that's how, or, you know, more devil's asshole or more BFF, I mean, look, if you're going to make a feature film BFF girls, I think you got a solid premise there. Uh, But, you know, I, I, it's one of those where like, I'm like, I would love to see what you would do in, in a, you know, in a feature length, a 90 minute film would be interesting to see what you would come up with. Have you, entertain the idea at all thoughts or anything about like, Hey, this might be something that in the future I would like to do, or is this something where you're, you're still like, Hey, I am enjoying where I am. And the success here for me is, is what I like.
1: I go back and forth. You know, there's, there's been films that I've thought about expanding into features. Uh, we talked about attack but that is like impossible. We can't do that. You know, I mean, we could, but It would take a long time you know just because of how big that whole world is you know like there's a lot of world building in some of my films that aren't necessarily isn't necessarily on the screen but i know it Mm -hmm. um and uh you know so that one we thought about and then abandoned and then um oddly enough there was uh flirting with the idea of like martian precursor becoming a feature but you know it's a one minute film and i was trying to you know extract stuff from a one minute film and you know you could but it wasn't necessarily stuff that i wanted to go into so that got scrapped um of course thought about potential ways to elaborate on that. And then as, and then BFF girls, we thought about like a television show where we actually had like 10 different episode ideas, you know, including the introduction of a fourth uh, BFF girl where the villain fabulous Doom creates a girl named Chrysanthemum who is uh, used to infiltrate them and, and spy on them and like, you know, destroy them from within. But is turned to good because she sees the goodness of friendship, and with the three girls, and she becomes the fourth BFF girls. That was like our plan for like a season finale, you know, of, of BFF girls. <clears throat> and then um, there's a there was a film idea that I wrote as a feature, and then wrote as a ten minute short, and then wrote as a two minute short about a guy whose nose is haunted, and he sneezes out ghosts. And like he has to do, he has to seek the help of a, an ear, nose, and throat exorcist, and there was nostril projection involved. So like, that one is called boogers, b o o g r. Yes, uh, exclamation point, of course. And uh, but yeah, every time I, you know, it's funny. I get half and half. Like people, I tell that idea to people, and they're like, "That's really funny." But then when I tell like other people like who are potential like investors they're like no <laughs> you know see
0: <clears throat> an idea like that to me seems right at home something with like trauma which look james gunn that's where he cut his teeth we yeah. wouldn't have we wouldn't have james gunn you know directing his what third <laughs> guardians of the galaxy yeah. movie yeah. or being like one of the big names of dc without his start i think it was poultry geist uh, no, Tromeo and Juliet. Tromeo and Juliet, yeah.
1: Tr-
0: Tromeo and Juliet. Like, we wouldn't have... Look, I, I'm i 100% supportive. And there's actually a question coming up here in a minute about how we can help um, get a certain thing greenlit for you. Um, so, you know, can't wait for that moment. But I, before we get there, before we dive into discussing the little gremlin who could, mm-hmm. William... I want to take some time to talk about your upcoming projects. Now, you've been posting some updates on production, and it seems like you're currently nearing the editing phase, and I could be wrong, just but from what I've seen, it seems like you're getting there. Um, Some screenshots and teasers have been shown, but outside of that, there's a lot of mystery and intrigue that still remains on your upcoming project. So, what can you tell us about your latest feature coming out?
1: Well, it's... uh... It's, it's interesting. It's not – it, I can't pitch it as distilled as something like William or uh, Crowhan or BFF Girls, but I would say ambition-wise, like production-level-wise, I would say it's on par with BFF Girls. There are many characters. There's many set pieces. The, the film transforms almost every couple of minutes into something else. Um, I'll say it starts out with me on screen talking about Tetsuo the Iron Man. And then from there, it starts going off the rails uh, where all of a sudden I'm replaced with a new and improved Brian Lenano, And it's done like like a YouTube video. And then that changes into something else. And then... He escapes that thing, and then he goes out to here, and and it's it's uh it's all over the place. And I think it'll it'll be a very interesting watch because it, it is going to be a long film, like BFF Girls. Like it'll probably be around fifteen minutes long. But because it changes so much, it goes through like five five different transformations of like what it looks like, um, and uh, it's about. word content it's about the word content um and how it's used a lot to describe films and television and uh you know i make films um and uh so i always wince a little when somebody refers to not the the content of the film but calling a film content because it starts to think of you you start to realize they're not really talking about the film you know, we're looking at like, I have a cup in my hands and in that cup is coffee. The coffee is the content. So we're thinking about the cup. So all the streaming services and all the brands, these are the cups. And then all the films and television are just swimming around in the cup and they all kind of get lost in there. So a lot of people, you know, and I think it's corporate jargon that comes down, you know, the ladder. So then people, uh, like you and me are, are saying content when in re- referring to films and television. And I'm, you know, tr- addressing that, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, but in a very unusual way that goes from me talking about the film Tetsuo the Iron Man and being short filmmaker Brian Lenano to becoming content creator Brian Lenano, sponsored by Film Bro talking about Tetsuo the Iron Man. And then from there, it evolves into, into more stuff.
0: So I pulled up your Twitter. <clears throat> There's a photo that you released of, from set during filming. And it says the words, film forever, content never. Would you care to elaborate a little bit more on that? Is that the the name of the film, perhaps? Or uh, have you released the name yet? Do we Do we know what it's going to be called? Or can uh, you tell us that? If you can't, totally understand.
1: So the title right now, originally the title was just going to be content, but now it's, to pay homage to Tetsuo the Iron Man, It's the working title right now is content colon the lo-fi man. Because eventually um, the protagonist needs to go through a transformation in order to battle the content hub.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Now, <laughs> it's something that has always intrigued me, you know, you see all these movies and, you know, there's there's names, I mean, on my walls right now, I, I collect vintage movie posters. That's one of my weird hobbies, as well as collect films themselves. So you've got movies, Videodrome, Street Trash, The Sentinel, Black Mama, White Mama, uh, Gray Eagle, you know. Very and then you'll have movies that like there'll be a title and be like I have no fucking idea what this means. Like there what is this how is this related to a film at all? When you're coming up with titles for your shorts, is it so do, how do you do that? Like, is there times where you're just kind of looking at your you know, you're looking at the finished project, you and you're like, Hey, this is definitely what it's gonna be called? Or is it something like before you even shoot? is like, I know what this movie is going to be titled. Just the from the thought in my head, like, I know
1: what we're going to do next. Um, A lot of the times, in a funny way, like like Doris Wishman, like, the title comes first. Sometimes, like, like, Attackozoids came about, because I was just, I was just standing up peeing, getting ready to go somewhere, and I just said, Attackozoids. And I said, that's the name of the next movie, you know. Um, and then, you know, Crohan is pretty self-explanatory because it's something I exclaimed, you know, it's just, it's just a stupid title. And um, originally something like The Devil's Asshole came later uh, because I believe our original title was going to be called Hotter Than Hell. And uh, it just sounds, I just wasn't into it, but we, the spice in the film was called The Devil's Asshole. So we were like, let's just call it The Devil's Asshole. And that's a way better title than you know that nobody will forget movie title called the devil's asshole but people might forget the title hotter than hell uh we did change the title of the transmission it was originally the ghastly transmission and then i changed it to just the transmission uh i'm not sure why but we're actually we've actually re-digitized the film negative of the transmission and we're going to try and redo it and fix some things with it and, and release it again as the ghastly transmission.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait to see that. I also can't wait to see your upcoming film as well. Do you, do you have a rough release day? Are you going to be premiering it at a festival yeah. or are you kind of still in the, the plans right now where it's like, ah, eh, we're, we're kind of keeping a lid on it.
1: We're um so next saturday the 18th we're going to be filming we have our last uh shoot day and the production has been stretched out like we we shot one day in december then we shot two days in april one day in may and now one day in june and there's still like some stop motion animation that needs to be done for the film and one more shot that we'll have to get later of a robot um so i'm, I'm trying to make it sound exciting that there's stop motion and there's a robot and they were like, you know, post-apocalyptic cyberpunk filmmakers in it. And, you know, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. It's, I'm I'm excited about it. Uh, It's definitely on the more ambitious side of, of, of stuff. But as far as like completion, like we've actually been editing and we've been working on uh, Foley uh, sound effects, uh, with, you know, been going and like trying to record sound effects of like crunching celery for like you know body parts getting ripped off and stuff. And uh, I'm hoping that the film will be done the fall, so we can aim to have an early 2023 release. You know, uh, we're looking at the big three festivals in America to submit to at the beginning of the year, and here's hoping that they. We, we, I was contemplating like, um, we're trying to release it in the fall, but I want to wait for, you know, a big, uh, a big, beginning of the year festival to see if that will, you know, if, if people will take it and sort of catch on from there. But I have, I have my favorite fests that I want to submit to, and and hopefully uh, people are into it. It's, 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 inter- it's, it's a weird movie to try and categorize, but it's definitely sure. genre bent. Um, but yeah, I hope people like it. I hope, I hope it speaks to like filmmakers and audiences about like the state of things. And, you know, I think, uh, I, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah. But I it's called that. the content, the lo-fi man right now. Content,
0: the lo-fi man. I yeah. love that so much. So there was a, something I did see. You had done an interview with a, uh, a publication and they ask you the question if you would ever do a short about podcasters and um, you know as a podcaster myself and I feel like that's probably a derogatory term at this point in, in the social sphere. but uh, is it is it possible that that could be something that can come about? I'd, lo- I'd love to see it and just I mean for me personally, just absolutely us. We're just the worst people, you know. You just got to, you just sit in front of a mic and you monologue for an hour and a half and then mm-hmm. publish it for people to listen to. It's terrible. So if you do that, you know, please. If if you want, if you want to like lop my head off in a movie, like <laughs> all for it, all for it. You can you can do that. I'm I'm totally down to to die on screen for for your cause.
1: I appreciate that very much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're nearing the end. The conclusion of our time together. And I feel it's apropos to address the back alley giver, one might say. The one, the only, the William. Now, I have to point out that though we love ourselves some Crohan, uh, this is very much a William household. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point that it is a rite of passage at our home to watch William before you leave. Any guest <laughs> who comes here has to watch William before walking out the door. Now, when I say this, the love is real. And now while I have plenty of questions myself that I would love to to, to ask about Gwilym, I left it up to our audience to do the honor for me. Um, and they're going to let loose. So I hope you're ready. Okay. Um, so we're going to do for the first ever a lightning round um, here on Save Trash Cinema. Now, just to give some audience some context, if they've never seen Gwilym, as the father of Gwilym, how would you describe William, the short film, just what someone can anticipate when watching it?
1: It's a disgusting, budding love story between a man and a goblin.
0: I don't think I could have ever said that nearly as well as that. That is spot. <laughs> I've watched. I couldn't even begin to tell you how many times I've seen William. Uh, at this point, it's probably pushing the 50.
1: View oh, wow. Range.
0: I'm telling you we watched William I actually in preparation I was uh watching some some of your work this week and my father-in-law was in town and I was like yeah I was like I'm uh, I'm interviewing Brian Leno for the for Save trash Cinema it's going to be an exciting episode and he's like what has he done and my fiance is like oh he's done this movie called William <laughs> she's like don't worry we'll watch it <laughs> so we did and the only thing he said At the end, was what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) And I really think that my father in law really grew closer in that moment.
1: (laughs) It brings people together. Yeah. It
0: definitely brings people together. (laughs) And speaking of bringing people together, we're going to dive into Lightning Round. I'm going to fire these fast and quick at you. And you just give me an honest response. So start from the top. Okay. Does William ever like to give? Or is he 100% a receiver?
1: He gives. He only gives. He is he only gives. capable of giving. Who is William based on? Uh, okay. William is based off of a drawing. Uh, it's not somebody I know. But I was uh, working overnight. And my brother was with me. And somebody had a picture of their kid. And he drew it. But he drew it kind of fucked up. And it was no longer a kid in that drawing it was like a goblin cuz he had kind of like one pointed ear and he had these terrible lips and uh you know we kept that drawing for years and we said what is his name and we thought william was a really gross name cuz the gwill sounds like swill or gl- like a gag reflex so like william turns out that's a real name in like england it's like a surname or something like yeah. that so I kind of felt bad that like there were people like who were like so. There's this movie named William, and like that guy's name was like Phil William or something like that. I was like that poor guy. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's where it came about. But William, you know, he's not based off anybody specifically. But you know, the idea came to us ten years ago. I'm sorry, this is the lightning round. This is a very long lightning. Round. No, this is fine. But um, the idea came to us actually more than ten years ago. It's probably twelve years ago now. Uh, you know, Kevin and I were editing Eight Bit Ghost Hop, and we came up with this idea for William. And w- way back then, we were like, "We can't make this film now," you know, because we were just starting out. We didn't know what kind of filmmakers we were going to be. So the idea stayed with us until Crowhan was successful, and then uh, Tori said, "Now's the time to do William." So, so that's that's how that's how William came about. That's what it's based off of. It's a drawing, a picture, a photo that we drew.
0: I got a little disappointed. I really hoped it was like you're like a childhood bully or (laughs) like some creepy guy that lived down the street that would like try to give you candy or something.
1: I had a very normal childhood. There were no creepers like trying to suck my dick or anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of sucking dick, William is obviously a blowjob king. However, does William eat ass too?
1: No, that would be a different goblin.
0: Oh, that's a oh, kind of,
1: that's a different kind of goblin.
0: Oh, we're getting a William lore now. Yeah. yeah. How
1: did they animate William? Is he a puppet? He is a puppet. But uh, in both William and William's tips, there is some digital augmentation. The blinks are digital and some of the mouth movements were more exaggerated in digital. But, but it is a puppet.
0: Interesting. All right. Here's the next one. Have you shown your parents, William? And are they proud of you?
1: I showed my mom William and I believe her reaction was, Oh, Brian, you know, <laughs> it's something like that. Yeah. So, but I don't think my dad saw it. Yeah.
0: You know, if it makes you feel any better, my, my mother still has not listened to the show, <laughs> which is probably a good thing. Yeah. Did anyone puke during the making of William? I mean, outside of the actor who pukes on screen?
1: No, nobody puked. Um, everybody kept their composure. And uh, yeah, nobody nobody threw up. Um, but I've been told that people have gagged watching it. And when I was on the festival circuit with it, when I was on the festival circuit with it, um, I gave out barf bags as a promotional item. You know, every seat had a barf bag and people were like, Oh, my God, am I gonna throw up? And I was like, Oh, maybe we'll see. But no, nobody threw up on the set.
0: How did William come into existence? Was he born?
1: Uh, yes, because he has a grandmother, mm. so he was born, and uh, but he was raised by his grandmother. I don't know if he knew his family or if his family left him and he had to be raised by his grandmother.
0: Well, that speaking of his grandmother, if Grandma Gwilym can have offspring, does that mean Gwilym can reproduce as well?
1: No, he cannot reproduce. He is uh, an exceptional goblin. Um, and I don't know how much detail you want me to go oh, into. Okay. So, so I've been building a mythology about William in my mind. So William, and this might answer some other questions that are coming in the light around, but I've, I've imagined him being like hundreds, thousands of years old. He came over on the Mayflower pretty much. Like he came from the old country. He was under the Mayflower blowing pilgrims. Oh yeah. You know, and then he came here and went through various like existence. Like we had a we had a line that we were gonna put in the feature that is sort of a a a, a nod to Bram Stoker's Dracula where he says I've crossed oceans of time to find you. He says I've crossed oceans of come to find you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> All right, here's the next one for you. Would William rather have pubes for teeth or teeth for pubes? Pubes for
1: teeth or teeth for pubes. I'm not sure how to answer that question, but I will say that in an original version of William, his teeth were going to retract up, so he was all gums. So, like, we we shot it, but it wasn't, like, working out, you know? We were doing this really close-up of, of his face, and we had, like, teeth. And then the puppeteers were, like, pulling the teeth so they would go up, and it didn't it didn't work out. Because originally, like, in some of the storyboards, he was going to, like, look up at him and, like, flash his fucked-up teeth. And then he's like, oh, my God, he's going to bite my dick off. And then the teeth go away, and he just goes down on him. And that's, like, the surprise. Like, oh, he's not going to bite his dick off. He's going to suck his dick. So, originally, the teeth were going to retract, but it didn't work out, so now he just does it with his teeth. But as far (laughs) as teeth for pubes, um, I would probably say neither. He'd probably just want, you know, because, like, if if he had pubes for teeth, I mean, how, how would that feel?
0: Probably like sandpaper. Yeah, feel I like would a, feel like I would assume it would feel
1: paper. like maybe it's kind of softer than a Brillo pad, but like you know. rubbing against you. i don't know. It wouldn't, it wouldn't know. feel good. And I think yeah. he's all about making people feel good. He's—he's—he's—he uh, learned from his grandmother that it's better to give than receive, and maybe he took that advice too far, you know, with what he's been what he's been up to.
0: He just definitely has a laundry list of people he has to meet with.
1: I'm sorry, I have to go back. To your question uh there is some character that was inspired uh inspired me to make William, or to inspire how sought out William was it was the snl skit with chris Kattan as this dancer named mango
0: mango and how,
1: and how all these celebrities were like i have to see mango i love him so much and blah mm. blah and you're like why like it doesn't make any sense like so he does something to enchant these people, and like they come under his spell, and that is like what I was doing with William. Because at the very beginning, you know, the character is about to get out of jail, and the guy who he cellmates with knows William. He's the one who tells him go to G's Tavern. You know, if you're looking for action, it's the best I ever had. And then, then he looks like kind of up fondly. He's like, "It was the best." Like that's because he went to William and knows. Like had his tryst with William, and now he's telling this guy, you should go there because that you're you're gonna have that happen for you, you know, without saying it. but but yes, so sorry, mango and the the idea that people were like obsessed with mango was uh, inspiration for like how people sought out William because in William's tips, he has a whole like schedule book, and he has like his his week is booked. Oh, yeah. he has all these different suitors, you know.
0: I love it. Next question is Will we see more of Gwilym or was his Halloween special his farewell video?
1: Um, You know, I've always, uh, it's funny, I I think about like ways to either explore the Gwilym lore or to go the Ernest movie way and like have him save Christmas or something, you know, because I certainly have a Christmas idea where. Santa doesn't want to give presents out anymore because he's so disenchanted with the world and William gives him a blowjob and it inspires him to give presents out again.
0: (laughs) I love this so much. (laughs) With the last question, this is one that I referenced earlier. Have you been approached yet by any porn studios to make an X-rated version? If not, how much do we need to crowdfund to make this happen?
1: (laughs) No, nobody's asked me, but I've joked about like the uh there was that I guess it's still happening because it it still shows up at festivals and stuff. But like VR really came back in a big way, mm-hmm. and uh, I joked that like you know we should make the William VR experience and like it's just you like with the stupid Oculus on and you look down and you're just getting sucked by William. Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my God! Yes, please. We can whatever we have to do to make this happen. I will. I will start to sell my own organs to, to turn that into reality. Well, hopefully
1: that won't be necessary, but, Ooh. but yeah. So, uh, but you know, if you have, if you have questions that you wanted to get in, you know, you could certainly ask, you know, um, I it's fun to, it's fun for me to sort of give away little secrets about what I think William is, you know, what I think his story is, but you know, I'm not sure if it's something I, I want to, um, pursue as a, like a filmmaker and and a big reason why is because for some reason he's just become this really beloved character, you know, and I really don't know how, how much, like what percentage of the world loves William. Um, I'm sure oh, he's not like true. a, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's not oh, like the huge, this huge phenomenon, but you know, the other thing is like, because uh, it's sort of been built up a lot, that kind of, that, puts a little pressure on me like you know to 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 make something and then what if it doesn't what if it's not as successful because you know like some i go back i I keep bringing up letterbox but some reviews i feel like okay you know that makes sense you know where they're like william was a good idea but then william's tips kind of ruined it you know and i could see that you know I, i i can understand people having this, like, what a weird one-off idea. And then, like, you know, on one hand, people are like, he should be a host, like the Crypt Keeper. And then other people are like, we only wanted, you know, this this one film was good enough. Like, you don't need to, like, ruin it with, like, this. You know, so I was always worried about, like, if I were to do more William films, would there be diminishing returns in, in uh, you know, what happens? Because I don't want it to all of a sudden just be like, you know, oh, he just sucks this guy's dick and then everything's okay again or whatever, you know? Like, I don't want that to be the uh, deus ex machina of the, of the plot of William. But um, I will share some thoughts about, like, his backstory and the mythology of William that I've that I've talked to, you know, have brainstormed with, uh, you know, my brother and Blake Myers, uh, who's produced uh, a lot of the films, and my wife, Tori, who, you know, we all collectively produced and wrote William. Um, I've thought about as far as like the feature goes, that it would elaborate on the romance between the ex-con and, and William. And it was be a little bit like a sort of blue is the warmest color, that French film. It would be a little like that where they're, you know, in this, like, it's like a bell. Like there's passion and then they, they leave, you know, and he either Mm -hmm. goes back to jail or, you know, William goes away or something like that. But there's, like, his estranged wife. The ex-con's mm. estranged wife that comes into uh, the uh, the picture again. And there's sort of a love triangle there. Uh, he really wants to, you know, he... Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we even came up with, like, him rubbing it on his face. Like, he does that every time, you know? And there was, like, this one scene where they're, like, you know, pillow talk. And he's like, why do you do that after every time and and William's just like nobody's ever asked me that before and then the scene's over like (laughs) they never even answers it you know and then one time you know he gets caught by his uh, strange wife and he's got it on his face and she's yelling at him but she's like wipe your face you know like and he's like no
0: (laughs) (laughs) do you think do you think in a feature that you would incorporate grandma William um into it at all
1: I'm not sure cuz Grandma William came later, you know, when we were um you know working on the William's tips uh short. I really loved that little detail of like his grandmother is mentioned, not his parents. So to me that like implies that he was raised by his grandmother, you know, that may he may or may not know what his parents who his parents are. Um The other, another detail of uh, William that I don't really talk about is he is a goblin who blows people, but he's not necessarily like his family isn't necessarily a bunch of blowjob goblins. Like he might be the black sheep. You know, they might just be like normal, respectable goblins, and he's like, "What do you, you know?" They're like, "What are you doing? You're just sucking all these like peasants' dicks or something like that." You know, and maybe that's why he had to leave. So, uh, and then raised by his grandmother in America. I don't know. So there's, See, there's.
0: I like this. I have this like lore in my own head in which William has an extended family, and. They're they're trying to end the cold like that's how they end the cold war, is that William is an extended family they just go and blow the leaders of America and Russia and mm-hmm. like that's how they've actually staved off the cold war. Yeah, um, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> um, it's a t- Like, it, William is a it's a touching moment. He's such a, he's a he's a giver and yes, yes. Uh, and you know we need more of those <laughs> we need more of those people more of those goblins in the world just, <laughs> more just, givers uh, yeah more givers more givers
1: um yeah and uh you know there there was another scene in in the you know the the abandoned feature idea where the convict wants to pleasure william and he's always like refusing saying no and it it doesn't get it doesn't get like too uncomfortable it's more like uh it's situation where he's like, no, come on, you know, and then he's just like, no, no, stop. And then it's revealed that, like, he has no genitals. Mm. William has no genitals, so he is incapable of receiving. He can only give.
0: He can only give. He can only That's... give. I like that. I like that. You know, just this androgynous little wispy-haired goblin. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> It's yeah. such a, a
1: beautiful moment. Yeah. But what's I mean what's what's also nice about like not continuing to do William Shorts is that people are coming up with their own mythologies of it, you know, and that's uh, that's so fascinating to me, you know, considering like people come up with their own stories about Star Wars or whatever, you know, and then when they come up with something, you're like, Oh, that's what they came up with. How disappointing, you know? Um, it'll never be good as good as the idea that you create in your own head. So in a weird way, that's prevented me from doing more William just because, you know, I want to do something that I feel is right, but may not be considered right by the people who have grown to love William. Uh, here's another interesting uh, thing I've I've thought about in in the Guillaume mythology, is that there could be some fairy tale rules about it. Where if you get sucked three times by Guillaume, you become a Guillaume.
0: Oh my god! Wow! You know, I knew when we were having you on the show. I was like, we're gonna uncover some dark truths <laughs> about Guillaume. But I feel like we have like my mind has been blown. There's like a whole <laughs> new perspective on William and it's it's funny actually my ne- in my next door neighbor I was out one day and I was walking my dogs in the parking lot and I noticed this car which had been there it would come by you know few every few weekends it'd be stopping by. And I noticed this car and I was like, holy fuck, that's a William sticker. On the really? back of this car. <laughs> like, as you, you know, like he says, you'll never forget your William. Mm-hmm. So I have never forgot my William. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is this? Like, I know that he goes in and he speaks to him. So I go and I talk to to my next door neighbor a couple of days later. I'm like, hey, I noticed this car out there. And they got a William sticker on the back. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's William. like, I know William is, is big, but like, it was like such a moment and then come to find out the person was actually or I don't know if it was the person themselves. I think it was somehow connected to him. It was actually um, they're one of the judges for the Buried Alive Film Festival in Atlanta. Oh, cool. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. Like everything's connected. So it's such a small world. And, and William just brings us together.
1: <laughs> yes, that's what he does.
0: <laughs> it's such a beautiful like, well, we're pulling together. I don't want to I don't want to keep you too long so I have one last question and it's as we do with all of our our guest hosts that come on all of our people that we interview we ask the question if you had to choose one trash cinema film to save what would it be
1: I wrote four down um two of them are not uh seasonal um but I'll just na- name them uh, Christmas Evil and Bloodbeat are amazing films that should be treasured and should be celebrated every, every uh, holiday season. Um, you know, a film going back to that short, what up uh, an, a movie called house from Japan mm-hmm. uh, really yeah. inspired me to take uh, interesting creative choices and risks as a filmmaker. I saw that at the Boston underground fest in 2009 and I was never the same after that. Um, so that's one that I probably say must be saved. But then there's another one that's kind of different in a very different way. It's different. It's very different. Uh, it's called Dangerous Men and it's by this guy, John S. Rad. And it's like a nonsensical dream logic kind of vigilante movie that makes no sense. And it took 25 years to make. So both of those films kind of inspire me one to take interesting, you know aesthetic choices you know and editing choices and, and this and that and the other is the persistence of vision you know to take 25 years to make your crappy nonsensical vigilante movie i mean i admire that director for sticking to it and and spending that long of a time to finish his film it's it's always inspiring and uh, you know, it makes me continue to do what I do, you know, trying to take one film at a time to create a body of work, you know, over ever, um, what is it, 16, 17 years now been making a uh, short films. So yeah, I would say those, those, those two, how Sue and dangerous men, it'll have to be a tie.
0: Awesome. I love <sighs> to hear. Well, Brian, once again, thank you so much for being on the show for real. This has been an incredible experience with you, but before we go, what do you got to plug? Socials, YouTube channels, your website. What, if people can find you, where can they find you? And what would you tell people to look if they want to know more about you and the work you do?
1: Well, I got a website, uh, Brian Lonano, Lonano.com. That's where uh, you can see a bunch of my films. Um, they're embedded uh, on the website. If you have Arrow, uh, the subscription, the streaming service, uh, on- 20 of my films, I think are on there. Uh, and, uh, I've been, I've been told actually that people really love the VHS and or bootleg cut of BFF girls. So if you have arrow, you should check those out. Those versions of the film, they say they're the superior versions, which is I find interesting. Um, and, uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, pretty easy to find me there. And, uh, hopefully, you know, while I'm on Twitter, I'll be, uh, teasing uh pictures and things like that of the new film we're working on content the lo-fi man so so yeah arrow and uh, also uh the guilliam films are on altar on the altar's youtube page you can check them out there and yeah if you just google my name stuff will come up uh a, a lot of uh a lot of places you know ripping my films and putting them on different uh streaming streaming platforms uh yeah (laughs)
0: <laughs> fantastic fantastic well once again thank you so much guys go follow brian go check out his work I, I trust me if this interview hasn't convinced you yet then i really don't know if anything will but i can tell you it is absolutely fantastic and if you've enjoyed the show please rate review and share the hell out of it. your friends loved ones and worst of enemies honestly word of mouth is key here we are beggars. If you're interested in video games, check out our sister podcast, the spotlight games podcast on all your favorite streaming services. We also have a YouTube channel. So don't be a heathen and watch his banter about video games there as well. In the meantime, you can follow me at kid Cayman or our main podcast at and spot on Twitter and at spotlight games podcast on Instagram. If you want to be part of the show, whether it be a guest host or have a movie recommendation, you can reach us at save trash at gmail.com or save trash cinema on all socials. Remember. Fight big box office. Save trash cinema.